You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. The Lord, everybody. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. It's good to see each and every one of you. Thank you for being here. And uh, thank God for the spirit of the Lord that we feel in the house tonight. Doesn't it feel good in church tonight? Thank God for the presence of the Lord that's here. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our children and our youth tonight, this evening. Amen. And we're going to get right into the word of the Lord. So if you are joining us uh, tonight for maybe the first time in a little while, we're going to be jumping back into our origin series and uh, we're going to start at chapter number three. So I hope you have your Bibles, hope you have your notebooks, and, uh, or uh, something that you could take notes on as we get into God's Word tonight. And I uh, just want to take a moment to look at some of God's thoughts from God's book. And this is not, uh, this is not to be just skimmed over or skipped over. But in our series, we are walking through Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And Genesis chapters 1 through 11 contain the foundation of everything else in Scripture. Most everything else. I'm sure there's something that's maybe not covered there, but most everything else comes from this part of Scripture, this portion of Scripture. It's alluded to and testified to And so it is so pivotal, it is so critical, and so important. And so tonight, we're going to walk through chapter 3. Actually, we won't get through all of chapter 3 tonight. We may take two or three weeks um, to get through this chapter before we move on to chapter 4. But we're going to cover some uh, uh, main topics here today, uh, tonight. And if we could put up the next slide, I just want to give you a highlight of some of the things that are first mentioned here in the Origin series and some of the topics that we're going to be looking at here in chapter number three. This is the first mention of a tempter. And so this is the foundational passage on the tempter. This is the first mention of sin or the first exercise of sin, which testifies to our moral choice or free will in rebellion. This is the first uh, mention of temptation. And so we're going to look a little bit tonight specifically on some of the uh, specific dynamics of temptation. And then we see the curse. We see what sin brought to this world. There are things, there are realities that we live with that are uh, uh, that, that, that chapter 3 testifies of. And these realities are not things that we have done, but it's because of sin that they exist in the world. And uh, how many got up today and worked? By the sweat of your brow. There were, how many had sorrow? Okay, not everybody, praise God, but somewhere, somewhere you've had some sorrow. Amen. Well, that is some realities that come from the fall, or sin, the first mention of sin here, the fall. We go on from the curse, and then we see here that uh, there's a reference to the mother of all living, and that's noted in this passage of 
Scripture, the, the reality of parents, parenting, uh, childbearing. And then the next thing we see is nakedness and clothing. The first mention of clothing is in chapter 3. Somebody says, well, God doesn't really care what we wear. Well, actually, He does. And it's very clear. It's spelled out in Genesis chapter number 3. And this concept of this idea, we're going to look at this. We probably won't get to that tonight, but we're going to look at that. Then we're going to look at judgment, that there are repercussions for sin. There were things that changed, that God said, basically, I will no longer provide this, and, and there was separation that came in. How sin affects man. And then the last and final thing was, this is actually the first mention in Scripture about angelic beings. And there's, there's two references here at the close of this chapter about other beings that have reason, that are not eternal, they have beginning, but other beings that have reason and uh, are agents of God, but they are not humans, humans, so angelic beings. So these are some of the main topics that we'll look at. Now there's a lot of other things that this chapter testifies of, the goodness of God, the grace of God. And so we won't cover all of those, but we just want to sort of walk through uh, uh, some of these main things. So we're, we're in origins, a study of beginnings, and this is where things come from. So now we covered chapter 1, we covered chapter 2, which rehashed chapter 1, and then expounded some more things. And in, in Genesis, the Hebrew authors, the, the, God is the author as He gives that to Moses, and Moses authors that and writes that down. In, in Hebrew literature and stuff, they weren't always as in, uh, uh, focused on chronology as they were the point that was trying to be made. And so while Genesis is a book of chronology, it gives us chronological events, there are these establishing points that are being set out. And so now we come to chapter number three. So maybe, maybe, for instance, I'll skip ahead when Adam says that he's going to call his wife Eve, for she's the mother of all living. Maybe at that point, that in the story, that was not the exact point that Adam was naming his wife, while God's getting on to them, God, uh, Adam turns around and gives his wife a name. That may not have been the point. But if you're following the narrative, it was expounding on some things. And the very next passage, it says, this was, a, this was the point in the story where Adam, where this information is first presented. So we'll, we'll talk about that. So now we come to chapter 3. We've established that God has created. Obviously, there are a lot of details that are left for us to wonder about, to speculate about, to assume, to whatever. So now in chapter 3, it's come to the fall of man. So let's go to chapter number 3, and we're going to read, let's read these first 13 verses together if we can tonight. We're going to try to get uh, uh, as far as this, but I want you to read this together with me. I want us to read this together because I want the text to be highlighted in your mind. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And there's a question mark at the end of this sentence here 
But in reality, in the Hebrew text, it's as if there's an interruption. It's an unfinished sentence. And so the serpent says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, as if she interrupts him, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The first thing we're introduced to is this serpent. This serpent. Without spending too much time here, the serpent is an animal. It is a creature. It is a physical being. And at the conclusion of this story, God curses the serpent and commands that it will go on its belly the rest of its life. So it seems to imply that before this, the serpent was not resigned to crawl on its belly. But because of what happens here, the serpent was cursed. Also, we know that this was not just another creature in the animal kingdom, but Revelation gives us proof that this was more. If you can grow to Revelation chapter 12, and verse number 9, later on in John's vision, he sees things that are to come. And he would write here in chapter 12, Revelations 12 and 9, and he says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. John identifies for us that this was not just 
another snake, but this was Satan. It was the devil. It incarnate in some form, taking possession of this serpent, comes to beguile or deceive Eve. And he begins to tempt her. Now this is, this is a, uh, an interesting thing because we don't see the devil for who he is right at the beginning. We see him as something he's not, something that he's cloaked himself in. Everywhere we see Satan in Scripture, everywhere we see the tempter in Scripture, he is hiding behind something else. He is going about as a roaring lion. He is trying to be something else because later on John said this, that when the world looks upon him, that someday when they look upon him, it's as if they're going to say, you mean this was the one that tormented everyone? This was the one that I was afraid of? This is the one that we were concerned about? And so Satan comes and he disguises himself. He makes himself appear uh, uh, more enlightening to the eyes, more presentable in whatever manner he needs to uh, achieve his purpose. And so there was a subtlety about the serpent that Satan chose when he chose to come tempt Eve. And so he comes. Now, as we see the tempter here, we also must recap on this. This is called the fall, but we must look at the reality of free will, that God gave us free will. In chapter 2, we highlighted that there were two trees put in the garden. Does anybody know what are the two trees that God planted in the midst of the garden? Tree of life, and the tree of life uh, uh, gives a perpetual replenishing. And so, man, I don't know what kind of tree that was, but wow, wouldn't it be awesome if you could pick that up and plant that in your backyard? It, it's fruit enabled a perpetual replenishing. And so there was a sustaining. And God set that in the garden, and of that they were able to eat. What was the second tree that was in the garden? The knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Adam and Eve were dumb, but there was some ignorance that was there on their part. We know that from the story because... They did not realize, it did not dawn on them, that they were without clothing. They did not even have the concept of nakedness. That concept was not uh, uh, even upon them. The concept of them needing to have clothes had not yet uh, been illuminated to their mind. So uh, it's like a child. The, nobody tells you this, but... But kids are not born with that concept that they need clothes on. And if you're not careful, they will run out of the house and embarrass you at times, right? And so that concept is not just innate. There comes a point in time where it was illuminated. So they did not have that. Now, they had, they had certain understandings. They had free will. And we talked about this. God put a prohibition in the garden, and he tells uh, uh, he tells them, you cannot eat of this. Why? 
Remember we talked about that? There was one rule. You had one rule, one thing that you had to do, and they didn't get that right. And the reason why God put that there was because that was required. There had to be an option in order for there to be validity to their worship, to their devotion, to their dedication, for their obedience to mean something. They had to have a choice. And so God gave them a choice because God insisted, He designed that there would be free will, that there would be a moral choice. But it was not for them. them. It was not for them to try to find knowledge and wisdom and even morality apart from God. God's design was for them to be in relationship with Him. He knows all things. Amen. You got a pretty good deal when you've got, you've got a front seat right there with Jesus. Access to everything. And so, but, but by disobeying, it was trying to circumvent God and saying, I can access, because later on it says, she saw the tree and she saw that the tree was pleasant to the eyes, good for food, and good to make one wise. So when the temptation comes in, she realizes, she wasn't wise at this point, but she recognizes, ah, if I eat of this, I am going to know things that I don't know right now. And so that was where she, she, her quest for knowledge, her quest for understanding trumped her willingness to be obedient to God. And she threw away in that moment, she threw away her relationship with the Lord, violated what God had given in order to try to access and circumvent what God had. So here's free will, here's moral choice, and here we have the exercise, the first exercise of free will in rebellion, if you will. Free will in rebellion. Now let's look specifically at the temptation. Let's look at the temptation. And um, I, I've talked about this before. I've done uh, a series before where I included this. We did a series, oh, probably five or six years ago called um, something about uh, exposing the enemy. And we, went, we walked through a little bit of, I think it's Warren Wiersbe's book, The Strategy of Satan. And in that book, it's an excellent little book, he gives some highlights. And I'm going to throw this up on the screen real quick. Three things that Satan does in the garden. The first thing uh, from the strategy of Satan, three things that he does. The first thing he does is he questions God's word. I'm not going to stay here too long uh, because I've covered it elsewhere and we've got to move on. But if you want to take a picture of this, you can or you want to write it down. The first thing Satan does was he questioned God's word. The second thing he does, he denies God's word. And then the third thing he does is he substitutes his own lie. He replaces God's word. Why this is so powerful and this is so critical is because I do believe that the enemy still operates the same way. He questioned God's word. He questioned, hath God said that if you eat of this or that you can't eat of this? Did God really say that? And he goes on and he begins to... Uh, uh, 
challenge God's word, question it, and then he denies God. No, God didn't really say that. That's not going to hurt you if you do this. And then he substitutes his own lie. And he says, why? If you eat of this, you yourself will be like God. So the first thing that Satan does is he questioned God's word. Did God, hath God said, did God say this? Now this is interesting because he does not deny that God spoke. He just questions whether God really said what she thought he said. Man, there's something about the subtleness there. Did you catch that? He doesn't question whether God spoke. He just questions whether God really said what you thought he said. See, you can't deny a real real experience. We are Pentecostals. We are people of experience. We, We have had an experience with God. We have been baptized, amen, in the water and the spirit. So Satan's smart. He knows, oh, I can't come down and tell them God's not real because they're gonna say, ah. I was there. I felt it. I can't come down and tell them God didn't do that or God didn't speak because they're going to say, no, I heard the voice of God myself. So I won't question whether he spoke. I'll just question, did God really say that? Did you hear him right? Well, you don't think that this Simple thing doesn't play out in our lives all the time. How many have ever had, you feel like God has given you a specific word where he's asked you to do something specific? Maybe give up something, maybe give something, maybe do something, maybe go somewhere, maybe not go somewhere, but you feel like the Lord through the power of the Holy Ghost has spoken to you something specific. And then all of a sudden, the enemy comes along and says, did God really say that? Come on, you go to write the check, or you go to make the call, or you go to make the move. Come on. Come on. I'm not the only one, right, folks? Hello. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Did God really say that? And if he can get you to begin to question what God said, he won't stay there long. He'll move right on to the next point. And that's where he'll deny God's word. If he's got you at the question mark, then you're standing there in a place of of uncertainty. And if he can pull you out into uncertainty, then boom, God didn't really say that. Well, 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 I I, I, I thought he did. (laughs) And all of a sudden now you're vulnerable. God did not say that if you do this, you're going to die? Well, well, did he? And then he comes out and says, no, in fact, the reality is God's holding out on you, and if you eat this, you will be like God, and God is trying to keep you from something. So let's, let's pair this with the three things that Eve did. We read through the text. The three responses Eve gave to each one. So go to the next slide. Eve's response to this, the first was he questioned God's word. What was Eve's response? Eve took away from God's word. Look at this. Eve omits 
the word freely. Look at what she says. And the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Well, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and what did God say? God said, you may freely eat. That sounds good, doesn't it? God didn't just say, you can eat. He said, you may freely, any time, any part of the day, whether it's lunchtime or not, whether your wife has called you to dinner, whether it's dessert time or not, whatever you want, you may freely eat. So now, all of a sudden, the blessing of the Lord that's so gracious is a little less gracious. We may eat of the fruit of the garden. She omits the word freely as if God's holding out on her. And here's the point. When we start to question or forget the grace and the goodness of God, it becomes much easier to disobey the will of God. That's why it's important we come in here and we begin to sing songs. We take a moment to worship because I want to first come in here and remind myself how good God is, how great God is. Amen. I know I'm in trouble. I know I need the Lord, but he's a good God. He's a holy God. God has freely given to us. She omits the word freely. It makes it easier. Not only is that, okay, so Satan... What does he do? He questions God's word. The second thing Satan does, he denies God's word. Now, she's already omitted a part, so now he's just outright going to deny it. And what did she do? Her response, she added to God's word. You say, how did she add to God's word? Well, look at what it says here. This is a dangerous one. We'll talk about this one for just a moment. She says in verse number 3, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it. That's true. But then she goes on and says, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God never said they couldn't touch it. In fact, he said the opposite. He told Adam, you have to dress it and you have to keep it. He told Adam that he had to take care of the tree. He had to be around the tree, but he could not eat from the tree. You can't dress it and keep it and prune it unless you touch it. Now, now scholars argue over whether it was Adam that told her, don't touch it, or whether it was her that added it in that said, I can't touch it. But here is a danger when you add to the Word of God. I know it's easy for us to preach about taking away from the Word of God, but here, you ever heard about anybody preaching against adding to the Word of God? Here's what happened. It set her up for failure because she says, I can't eat it. I can't even touch it. If I touch it, I'm going to die. God never said. God never said that. So now she makes something real in her mind that is not real. The problem is, while the enemy is questioning her, she reaches out and she touches it, and what happens? Nothing. She does not die. 
And if she has been believing and saying and adding to God's word saying, if I touch this, I'm going to die. When she touches it and she does not die, she immediately puts into question everything else that God really said. Hear me. I touched it and I didn't die. So that means that there's no truth to it. I touched it and this didn't happen. I'm going to tell you, we've got to be careful that we do not add to the word of God and make his commands more grievous than they are. His commands are not grievous. The things God gives to us, they are not grievous. But here it is. She made the word of God less gracious before when she omits freely, and now she makes it more grievous. Why? God said, if I eat it, I die. Why, I can't even touch it. And she makes it more grievous. I'm going to tell you, if you can take away the gratitude and the grace of the blessings of God, and you can make the way you're living for God more grievous, you have set yourself up every time to be susceptible to the tempter, to the lie of the enemy. Why do people sometimes swing the pendulum? Why does sometimes somebody walk so straight and narrow, so to speak, before God, and then all of a sudden they run out and they're the farthest thing from God? Because the enemy has a way of making the blessings of God less gracious and his commands more grievous. And they do something and they don't die. And so, well, everything else must be a lie and they run out. And of course, Eve, no, no, no. You're getting ready to ruin your entire existence on earth. First John chapter 5 and verse 3, John testifies and he says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And John follows it up and says, And His commandments are not grievous. Can I tell you, don't let the devil lie to you. God never asked us to do anything that is grievous. Devil's lying to you. He's trying to get you to think God's holding out on you. And God's saying, you have everything you want. If you want to know anything, all you've got to do is come and ask me, and I will tell you, you do not have to sacrifice your life, your soul in rebellion to have access to what you're reaching for in sin. You do not have to sacrifice your soul in rebellion to gain access to what you're reaching for in sin. God said you can have everything you want. I am everything. I am your all in all. Anything you want is right here in me. But the enemy lies to us. There's more out there. There's more pleasures. What Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's what you're reaching for. When you're reaching outside and you're trying to circumvent the obedience that God has in our life. The final thing that she did then was not only did she take away and add, but then finally she rejects God's Word. Satan, the devil, the serpent, 
got Eve to consider the tree apart from God. Consider the tree apart from God's Word. And the Bible says she saw it was good for food. Before, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if it had fruit or not. God said, don't touch it. Why am I even concerned? That, that's not even on the menu. <laughs> it's not even in the equation. It's, it's not even on the table for discussion. But if Satan can get it on the table, he's got you. Because then you begin to consider things apart from God's Word. And he perverts God's will. He perverts God's purpose. And in this moment, she separates her will from submission to God. Free will is now separated in submission to God. And all of a sudden, her free will chooses, I'm going to do what I want to do, what I desire, what I want to find out, what I want to be a part of. And she steps aside from submission to God. She reaches out. and She grabs that fruit, whatever it was. And she partakes of that fruit and immediately turns to the man standing beside her who said nothing during this dialogue. Who she gives to him, take this, and he partakes of that. Why scholars have speculated in different things one thing that we do know, and that is this, that Adam was willing to sacrifice his relationship with God to maintain his relationship with his spouse. He sacrificed his relationship with God to maintain his relationship with his spouse. And here comes an interesting thing because we just closed out chapter number two with the powerful and profound teaching for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and these two shall be one flesh. And we see that this is God's purpose and this is God's design and this is God's intent. But now we see what God intended is perverted because God never intended for marriage to be a formula that is not beneath His will. And they stepped outside of the will of God. And Adam went after something else. He did not... He was not ignorant of what was going on. In fact, he could have corrected Eve at any one of those places when she took away from God's Word. He, he could have said, no, 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 Eve. You haven't got to... God freely is letting us eat. When she added to God's Word, he could have said, no, 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 Eve. No, Eve. You added it or I added it, but, but we can touch the tree. We just can't eat of the tree. Or he could have said to Eve, no, no, Eve, it's not good for food. It's not on the menu tonight. But he stood by and said nothing. Adam was complicit 
in the sin, and in fact, the sin is rested upon Adam by one man's sin, Paul said. Death comes in. Eve is not the one. It's interesting. Eve is not the one throughout the Old Testament literature and throughout the Jewish culture. Eve is not the one who is blamed for the sin. It is Adam. It is Adam that stood by. Eve did not know. She was naive. Though Adam had not yet eaten of that tree and he did not have the awareness that he was naked in that moment, he did have enough awareness to know that what was happening was a lie and was a deception. But for whatever reason, he had put Eve above his relationship with God. I'm going to tell you, in marriage, this is a powerful, powerful thing. God must be number one. And if God is number one, you will not mistreat the other. You will love the other. You will serve the other. But you ought never to worship the other. You ought never to exalt the other and elevate the other above God because it was God that gave the other to you in the first place. It was God that made the other work out in the first place. And you can't survive without God in the equation. Powerful, powerful truths right here in Genesis chapter number three. So we go on and, and I'll come back. I'll give you, I'm, I'm going I'm to close here tonight because I don't want to cheat the next part, but the next part that we go to, we go to the curse. And we'll come back and follow this. And it's interesting, God curses two things. He cursed the serpent, and then He curses the ground. He pronounces that there will be some realities that will ensue in life. He speaks first to the woman, and then He speaks to the man. But God does not curse the woman. Neither does he curse the man. But God does give some things that we're still dealing with today. Work by the sweat of your brow. Work by sorrow amongst the thorns. There will be suffering. Multiplied sorrow in childbearing. For the woman, your desire will be for your husband. We'll look at those, those things. Those are things that our cultures today not only try to denounce, defy, but they try to pretend like they are not real. And they are still real realities. They are realities in our world today. And it's because of what happened way back when, when sin entered in. But one of the most beautiful things about that passage is when God does curse the serpent, God Himself preaches the first gospel message. For the first time ever in the history of the world, it's recorded. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust 
shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. But in verse 15, here it is. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's a very specific thing here. He says from this day on, there's going to be a war that's going to rage. From the seed of Eve, from the lineage of Eve, there is going to be a fight and you are going to do everything you can to attack. But there will be a seed that comes from this woman. And that seed, it says, will someday bruise thy head. It will destroy you. It will destroy your ability to deceive. It will destroy your kingdom and your power. But it does say, but you will bruise his heel. There will be pain that will be brought. There will be a cross. There will be a suffering. And for a moment, you will think you have victory. But praise God, there is a resurrection. And so when God would send Adam and Eve out of the garden and once and for all he would close that paradise up, he would not do it without sending them into sorrow with a message of hope that there is a Messiah that's coming. Hallelujah. And that is the good news Amen, that they were looking for in the Old Testament. And it's the good news that we rejoice in today. Amen, not that Messiah is coming, but that Messiah has come. Hallelujah. And that once and for all, he took all of our sins and he nailed them to the cross. Hallelujah. I praise God today. Can we stand together tonight and thank the Lord? Come on, can you thank God? Amen. That he didn't leave us in a curse without hope, but he gave us a promise. Lord, I thank you tonight. God, you have not left us without hope, but God, to the hopeless, there is a promise. God, to every afflicted, to those under the burden of the curse of sin, there is still a voice, God, of truth. There's a voice of hope. Hallelujah. God, if we will put our faith and our trust in you, Lord, there is victory. God, I thank you tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody praise the Lord. What a mighty God you are. Lord, your goodness, God, is great. Hallelujah, Lord.